Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Be the Church podcast, where we are engaging in conversations that will encourage you to live out your faith in everyday context so that you can be the church. I'm your producer, Isaiah. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin. I'm your other host, David. I'm one of your guest hosts today, Theo. Nice. And today we are continuing our series talking through some questions from skeptics. Now, before we hop into this next topic, uh, I always like to remind us that you can reach out to us at podcast.alatheagainswell.com if you have any further questions or ideas for the podcast. We love any and all ideas, and we'd love to continue uh, this conversation if this is something that you really are wrestling with or are wanting to process through more. Um, so I also encourage you, if you want a general understanding of why we're going through this uh, and just how to have discussions with others, gauging some of these tougher topics, uh, please listen to our first episode as well for more details. So as we do with every episode in this series, we first want to ask, why are we doing this skeptics series? Yes, and you've probably heard this answer <clears throat> a lot of times if you've been with us. Um, but it, it stays the same, right? We think scripture gives us a clear call to give a defense, not just of our faith, but um, what we believe, what we what we hold to be true, what the Bible uh, uh, establishes as reality and as truth. And so um, we want to do that. We want to be faithful when answering those questions. And so our desire is to just help the church body, specifically Aletheia Church, um, process and think through many questions that are commonly asked and brought up to Christians. And so uh, kind of in the, the summarizing uh, tagline is we want to help believers think and thinkers believe. Yeah, I think, you know, one of our, you know, obviously this podcast is a ministry arm of our church. And our desire is that, you know, one of the ways that we can encourage, equip and empower you guys as listeners is to process through questions or doubts that that you may have about the faith. And so doing this series allows, you know, you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to think through and process through these questions inwardly and personally, which are which are fair and reasonable questions, I think, to raise. Um, but also hopefully to equip and empower you to be able to address heart questions and objections of someone who is not of the faith. So, you know, both how this might affect you inwardly, but also affect outwardly, you know? So one of the lines I've been regularly saying as we've been going through this series is we want to put some tools in your tool belt to be able to um, maybe walk a little more firmly in, in the faith. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so um, as we go into this uh, topic today, it kind of starts a three-part mini-series within the series. Uh, sorry if that's too much depth for some of you, but um, really hitting on uh, a general statement of is Christianity inclusive or not inclusive? Um, and it's really going to uh, venture into uh, three particular categories, which is um, isn't Christianity racist? Isn't it um, sexist and isn't it homophobic? And so three of these main things that people wrestle with today, especially in the social realms, and we wanted to kind of hit them one at a time. So first, um, why, why do we want to hit about these general ideas of like inclusion talks and, and where Christianity is at in there? Yeah. So at least, you know, in the United States, right. Inclusivity is a, a hot button word, yeah. so to speak, at least in popular culture. Um, I'll just kind of give you like a, a basic overview, overview, but, um, you know, inclusivity is the idea of different types of people, things, or ideas, and treating them all fairly and equally. At least that's how it's um, defined. And so um, because that seems to be in our current cultural moment, kind of like a, a, a pop cultural phenomenon or something that the, the wider community, or at least the media in particular, cares about, um, it's obviously 
then raising questions and objections towards the church of how the church addresses these various yeah. avenues of inc- inclusivity. And so there are a number of misconceptions about what the Bible actually teaches about this. And so hopefully over the next you know three episodes, we'll be able to correct some of those misconceptions, but also open up an invitation to consider held beliefs that may or may not be rooted in reality for both sides. So like in summary, um, there are some misconceptions about just what the Bible teaches about inclusivity uh, for gender, race, um, sexuality. And there are things that the Bible absolutely does teach about those things that may not in our current cultural moments seem inclusive. And yet, you know, I think there's good reasons and and we'll get to those on on the various weeks that we discuss those. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a good primer for our discussion today as we really jump into this first question that someone might have as, you know, they look at maybe history, they look at the present day and wrestle through certain things that have happened or, you know, maybe personal experiences of isn't Christianity racist? So, David, how do you want to start us off maybe with how you might respond to someone asking this question? Yeah. And so so kind of to give us a big, big picture overview i think what kevin said is is key you know there are things that the bible is and and that we would say like god teaches that that is not that it is exclusive there are things that are exclusive in scripture and we're going to get to that what we want to make clear is when when someone leaves this discussion we want them to know what the bible is actually exclusive about and what it is inclusive about so uh, in in with this topic today right like when we're at when we're trying we're, our response is is the bible like is, is what the the scriptures teach is it uh racist right so that's the question that people have like oh the bible is just it, it, it's racist so we that's that's what we're trying to answer we're what we're not trying to answer and this goes back to episode one where we want to really define the question that we're seeking to answer. Because um, oftentimes people will, will ask this question thinking, well, I know someone who says they're a Christian. They're very clearly racist towards people who are not their same race or, or a specific uh, racial group, right? And so what we're not trying to respond today is, has anyone who has ever claimed to be a Christian or has a Bible or goes to a church or even leads and pastors a church, are they not racist? That's not within the scope of what we're trying to answer today, what we are trying to answer is, is just, is the Bible is, is, is the message that God is revealing or or that has revealed um, in his word racist to, uh, to, to where it, it, it puts one race above another um, to put it in, I guess the simplest, the simplest terms. Um, And again, I would say if, if, if you're asking this question genuinely, you should be willing to think back and, and think to yourself, well, just because there have been atheists throughout history who have had it out for a specific uh, racial group, am I going to think that everyone who is an atheist, for example, is racist? No, right? Like we have to take the individual, or in this case, the Bible as a whole and make sense of what it is saying. And that's what we're trying to answer. Is the Bible itself, what the Bible teaches, is it racist? Does it pl- does it place one racial people group above another? Yeah, for sure. Um, it'd probably be a good idea just to make sure that we define what racism is. Um, you know, I, I, I so I'll, I'll give you a, a basic definition that we found that that I think is helpful. But it, it's just important whenever you're engaging in these types of conversations or thinking through this personally of of understanding. Um, that words have meanings and that that's really, really important. I think there, there is a reality in our current day and age where words and accusations are thrown out without the actual understanding of the word that's being thrown out. And, um, while that's unhelpful, it's particularly unhelpful in, uh, intellectual discourse and debate. And so we want to make sure that we define these terms ahead of time and where we're coming from and what framework we're working from when we understand, you know, defining racism and what it looks like. So 
racism as as we're going to define it is any prejudice discrimination or antagonism by an individual community or institution against a person or people on the basis of their membership membership in a particular or ethnic racial or ethnic group uh typically one that is a minority or marginalized and 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 the reason why we include that last part i'll give you an example of this Typically, in the United States, it's our understanding of how racism plays itself out as uh, amongst uh, minority uh, racial groups in the United States or people groups. Uh, but it doesn't always have to be a minority people group. I mean, for example, in South Africa, there was racism against black South Africans for a long, long time. But they actually were not the minority group. They were just marginalized by the system and the racism that, that uh was a part of apartheid South Africa. So it, it it's important to know that that's often the case, but it is not often the case. And you'll hear people describe racism at times and they'll use terms like, well, they're a minority, so they can't be racist. Well, don't tell a South African that. like Because it was a minority group that actually marginalized other people groups in that country. So it's just it's really, really important that we think about these terms and we think about them critically in, in, in totality because there's a lot of weight behind the words and the accusations that we're going to be making. So Theo, why don't you just give us a little bit of a snapshot of what you what uh, of how the Bible would answer this question of is is Christianity racist? Yeah, one of the really helpful things about the Word of God is that it, it gives us such clear uh, foundations for our existence, our life, uh, where we came from as people. And we see that foundation in Genesis. And Genesis lays such a great foundation to let us know that when God created humanity, he created all people from one man. He created all people from Adam. Um, God created one man, he created one woman, he created Adam and Eve. And it was from Adam and Eve that every single person who's ever existed has come. And so when the Bible talks about race, the Bible talks about the human race, because we're all of the race of Adam. We're all originally his descendants. So to come at this question from a biblical standpoint, you really have to lay that foundation that all people have been made in the image of God and that all of us come from one person. And so a distinction between people groups is explicitly sinful, I would say, because it mars the image of God that's in every man, um, and it mars the design of God having brought every person from two people. So I, I think that you you really have to lay that foundation. Unfortunately for us, the Bible gives us that in Genesis when it shows us the creation of Adam and Eve. And I do think that's something that we're going to have to continually come back, come back to, especially within the next three topics. Because I think while these are all, I would say, hot button issues in the United States, I think the reason they're all so key and hot button is because we are, as a nation, very lost and confused with regards of ontology or essence. Like, what even is a human being? Like, why are human beings valuable and why they are what they are? Um, and so all of that, it gets gets grounded in the creation account and in, in Genesis where God explicitly tells us that humans are created in his image and therefore have inherent value. And in, so a lot of the things that we just kind of like take for granted, I would say, as a society um, is built on this solid bedrock that is um, the creation account, and we sometimes lose track of that, right? Um, and so I think I think Theo's point is something that we're going to have to continually go back to is this foundation of even in, in the question today, like as a Christian, racism is something that is untenable because it inherently goes against what God tells us from chapter one, <laughs> which yeah. is that every human being that you see across from you is an image bearer of the God that you are claiming to serve. Now, does that mean that all Christians throughout history have always acted and lived according to that perfectly? I mean, no. We, I mean, right. just read Genesis. It, it's mm -hmm. very. We we get a, a brother killing a brother, mm -hmm. uh, in 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 the same in in that, in that same narrative, right? With with the sons of Adam and Eve, and so it's very clear that that humanity chooses their own way. 
Um, but it does not change the message that God is 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 screaming to his people, which is your value comes from being an image bearer of me. Yeah, I mean, what we're discussing here is the, the like the theological understanding or idea of Imago Dei. And we've thrown that, I think I've heard Theo throw that term out a, a, a second ago. But we need to remember that when we're talking about the Imago Dei, we're kind of fundamentally talking about two things. One, we're talking about God's creation of mankind to um, display who he is and key characteristics about who he is, but also secondarily that because God has done that, he also cares deeply for mm-hmm. mankind. Mm-hmm. And so when we, when we, when we're thinking through like these, this concept that Theo kind of introduced to us there of, of the, the primary race in scripture being the human race, we need to, we need to understand that, but we also need to understand that because God created mankind in His image and likeness, um, it has inherent value and dignity. But He also has a say then on how He wants humanity to operate in and amongst themselves. And that is when we get into these questions of inclusion, both today, but in, also in the next two episodes, when we say it, it is an imago day issue. We're not saying that it's an Imago day, but we get to decide the terms of that. No, we're saying God defines the terms of, of what that is Be, because God is creator and we exist by extension for his glory and to bring um, attention and worship and honor and glory to his name, that in that we're, we're seeking to figure out what God's design for all of this is and how, how it's supposed to interact so that we both, one, can properly reflect God's original design and intention for mankind when he created them, but also understand then God's care for that and how we also reflect that care to one another. Yeah. Um, I, so I, I want us to take a slight segue. I don't want, I don't want us to take away all of the discussion, but I do think it's worth bringing up because we have to be self-aware of where we are where we live, where this question will often come from in our specific context, right? If I was having this discussion in Cuba, where I am from, or somewhere else, I might have a different context or different right. uh, backdrop to which uh, to have when, when answering this question. But we live in the United States where slavery, specifically chattel slavery and racism towards African Americans was very prominent, right? Oh, yeah. And so, not just prominent, but actually, um, from a federal law and state law standpoint, the system actually created a lot of it. Yeah, institutionalized. Yeah, it's a it's a very real, painful, his, historical fact mm-hmm. of of the United States, right? And so, I feel like a lot of folks, when they think of racism, that is the very first thing that they think of. Because it is the most, I would say, near and dear to our heart and mm-hmm. really our society, right? It's our experience. Um, we, we're familiar with it and understand it. Yeah. Yes, and 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 I mean, even even you know, people rightfully pointing out the 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 effects and the negative effects of that, even to this day, right? And so that is a very real backdrop that we have to have in in our minds when we are answering and trying to to faithfully engage with this with this question. Um, and so what what I would want people to start with when having this discussion is why don't we take a look at what individuals who were in the thick experiencing all of these atrocities that we now look back as just a stain in our history, mm-hmm. what was their perspective of it? You know, was their thought process of, yeah, we're living in a country where people claim to love God and yet treat other fellow human beings like they are worse than dirt. And so what I want us to do is to just take a look back at at some Christians who were, these people were also believers, also experiencing this racism and what their understanding of it was. And what what we're going to see is that they had a very clear understanding of the reality that is racism and the reality that is the the hope that is presented in scripture of where they they see this clear picture of a narrative where God is 
close to the brokenhearted, where God is freeing the captive, um, and where God makes it clear that those who who act and 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 belittle and and put down and crush uh, his people and do not treat them as Im- fellow image bearers will be judged one day by him. And so, I want to just read a few quotes because I. I, I I think we, we wouldn't do it justice if we just paraphrase or, or anything like that. So um, this this first quote is by Frederick Douglass, um, and he says this. says it is He's basically coming to the same question that we're asking today, right? Like, is is the Bible racist, right? Like, is, 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 is the Bible racist? He says, it is no evidence that the Bible is a bad book because, because those who profess to believe the Bible are bad. The slaveholders of the South, and many of their wicked allies at, at the north claim the Bible for slavery. Shall we, therefore, fling the Bible away as a pro-slavery book? It would be as reasonable to do so as it would be to fling away the Constitution. We are not the only people who have illustrated the truth that a people may have excellent law and detestable practices. Our Savior denounces uh, the Jews because they made void the law by their traditions. We have been guilty of the same sin. And this is someone who is not studying this as we are trying to answer this question far removed, maybe maybe seeing a lot more progress, being able to say, okay, maybe, maybe things are getting better. Like he is in the thick of it. And his response is, are we going to just throw away the Bible because people misuse it. If we, if, if our thought process is, is, is that, then we have to throw away every ideology on planet earth. Because if you, if there's an ideology, human beings will find a way to exploit it and use it wrongfully. And so his point is we have to wrestle with the actual text, what it is saying and telling us, not just say, Hey, this individual is using it for this ends. Therefore it has to be bad does that make sense um i don't know if you guys wanted to add anything to that before yeah i'll I'll just say that you know frederick Douglass was a former slave himself so this wasn't just an intellectual pursuit in terms of him trying to answer this question but he needed to really wrestle with the bible itself because as he said there were those uh slave holders who claimed the bible as theirs and used the bible to justify um the child slave system in america and so he had to practically uh, rationalize that understanding. Like, is the Bible, as he said, a pro-slavery book? Is the Bible for the oppression of this demographic of people? Does the Bible perpetrate ideas that African-Americans, for example, are less than other races? Um, and he said, no. No, just because those who, who use the Bible um, use it for evil motives and means does not mean that the Bible itself is evil um, or has any taint in it at all it is not so that's that's one example um i also have a a quote by david walker which i thought was very sombering to read because well i'll read it first and then we'll kind of talk a little bit about it he says can the american preachers appeal unto god the maker and searcher of hearts and tell him with the bible in their hands that they make no distinction on account of men's colors. Can they say, O God, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that we make no distinction between thy creatures, to whom we have to preach thy word. Let them answer to the Lord, and if they cannot do it in the affirmative, have they not departed from the Lord Jesus Christ, their master? Again, going to Scripture and not seeing even though people are using it for the wrong reasons, not seeing scripture as the issue, but the individuals misusing God's word um, as those who will not only be found lacking when when before God, but will be found as worthy of being judged be when they come before God. So they find in, in, in scripture not just that it is not the reason for the racism, they actually find it as the hope, underlying hope of ultimate justice coming to those who are misusing it and carrying out racism. 
Um, yeah, I think what's interesting here is, you know, David's making a very, I would consider to be, not you, David, but David Walker, the 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 guy the quotes attributed to. Uh, he's going so far as to say that he finds uh, American preachers who are uh, able to make a distinction on the account of a man's color and hold the Bible in their hands as actually being anathema or not being in Christ, which is which is a pretty damnable thing to say to someone. And I think it just shows the the, the seriousness of which he views, and I, and I would agree with him, the scriptures take this type of behavior and and how clear the scriptures would be on the Imago Dei and what God would have to say about all this. And, and the, the, the last quote I'll, I'll, I'll read is, is kind of a two-parter from, from Maria Stewart. Um, and what I love about this is you will hear her words. And if you're a Christian, you will see that di- like she is not pulling these words and these uh, judgments to uh, racist individuals as something that's just coming out of her own mind. The language is very clearly something she is getting from Scripture. She says, Oh, ye great and mighty men of America, ye rich and powerful ones, many of you will call for the rocks and mountains to fall upon you and to hide you from the wrath of the Lamb and from him that sitteth upon the throne. Whilst many of the stable-skinned Africans you now despise will shine in the kingdom of heaven as the stars forever and ever. Oh, America, America, foul and in indelible is thy stain dark and dismal is the cloud that hangs over thee for thy cruel wrongs and injuries to the fallen sons of africa the blood of her murdered ones cries to heaven for vengeance against thee again strong words strong language that all comes like if, if you read scripture that's taking you to revelation to the hope of, of the lamb who will come and make all things new it is taking you to to the story of even we reference Cain and Abel, where uh, the the blood of Abel is is crying out for for justice. And again, what what it makes what it, what I want to make clear is that individuals who are actively experiencing what what most of us here in the United States would go to as the clearest example of racism that we have closest to us, they are experiencing that. And their conclusion is not, well, the Bible must clearly be a racist book, but these individuals are sinful and are misusing the words of God, and they will be judged. And I hope that God will make everything that I see around me that is wrong right one day. And I know that he will, because I see in Scripture this narrative of of uh, of a pattern where, where God frees those who are captives, Right, he frees the marginalized without respect of persons. We we see that he frees individuals. Um, that's something that actually pleases God. I I have a passage here that I read recently in Jeremiah where God actually tells his people like, "Go and and free your slaves," and they do it, and then they instantly go back and take their slaves back. And he basically tells them, he says, "You had like you had done what pleased me." The 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 freeing of the captives pleases God is something that is pleasing to him and because they have now gone back on their on their words he is uh, again looking at them unfavorably and so all of that in in context when when these people were reading scripture they were like i see a pattern of a god who who saves whomever he wills despite respect of with no respect of persons and who frees the captive and they saw that as a hopeful reality and so even in the midst of someone using scripture wrongfully to to oppress and and to carry out their uh, uh sinful and i would even say racist desires mm-hmm. um these people don't shy away from scripture but in fact find in scripture a stronghold with which to combat racism right mm-hmm. because the the question that i would hope this initial question leads to is I agree that racism is bad, but where do you ground that? Mm-hmm. Like, like where, if in a secular worldview, like where do we ground even the reality that racism is is bad? I think we all agree it is, 
right? I think scripture makes it abundantly clear as Theo already highlighted. But then the next question has to be with, with what authority these abolitionists had their feet set on solid ground when they were saying, this is not good. This is not right. And judgment's coming. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think it's important to note and, um, before I want to get into a biblical kind of like, um, proof that I would say, um, from a, from the Christian perspective dismantles, um, the, the notion that racism would even be remotely something that God would approve of. Uh, but before, before I do, I just want to make it clear. The reason why these quotes are findable, um, the reason why David quoted them is, um, and, and this is important for you if you are a Christian listening to this, the reason these exist is because it wasn't just our government, it wasn't just the secular portion of the United States that participated in chattel slave trade and slavery and Jim Crow and segregation. Um, there was a portion, I would even go so far as to say, a large portion of Bible profe- professing Bible-believing Christians who were complicit either through their words or their actions or their votes or however you want, however you want to look at through the creating of systems um, from the writing of laws that contributed to this. Um, The it's not just the government of the United States that has this stain on its hands. Uh, The church in the U S has this stain on its hands. And I think one of the things that, um, is important if you're going to engage somebody in a conversation about this is is it's important that we as Christians, even though we were not personally there and did not personally contribute to what we're talking about today, to say that our forefathers did. It doesn't mean I need to carry some sort of, of guilt or, or shame about it, but I think I can be righteously angry about it. Mm-hmm. And I can also be righteously angry about um, attempts to um, rewrite history or change things or make things seem like they're not as bad as they were they as 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 they really were, because there there is a reason why quotes like this needed to exist. There, if if you dig enough into church history and, and figure out why why certain denominations exist, um, you dig back far enough, some of them even exist over the issue on how to treat African Americans. And disagreements at the denominational level on what level of participation they were allowed to have in the church, um, which goes directly against right what Paul says in Galatians chapter three. And one, I think this should this should be just like a, a gentle reminder to us, guys. Racism's not new. I mean, racism has been going on since the Tower of Babel. I mean, like it, it has been going on for a long, long time. We might find and invent different ways to practice it as, 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 as the human race. But it's been going on for a long time. And Paul writes to the churches of Galatia in Galatians chapter 3 and says for the following, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now, I want to stop there because sometimes this can be taken further than, than it, it need be taken. But what, what Paul's ultimately saying here is there is no distinction when it comes to justification and, and being adopted into God's family as children of God, being covered by the blood of Christ, by being a part of Abraham's offspring. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Greek, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. And if you notice that he, he uses three separate distinctions there, he uses a racial distinction, he uses a socioeconomic distinction, and then he uses a gender distinction. And he says all three of them 
are one in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Meaning, meaning God does not favor one of those over another in any way whatsoever, especially in regards to justification and salvation, that it's for everyone. And so Christianity at its core is the rejection of identifying markers of chief identity outside of Jesus. And I think this, this is something to maybe think critically about is much of what you will see in popular culture discussed about issues of inclusivity and acceptance and, and talking about is they are attempting to actually create place and put people by, by identifying markers that we as Christians actually on the front end would wholly reject. Not that we would reject their existence, but we would reject them being the chief identifying marker of that person. Okay. Right. Like I, like as a Christian, I, I am not supposed to first identify Isaiah as a white man or David as a Cuban or Theo as a black man or myself as a white man. Like that, that is, that is not the chief distinction of a Christian. The chief distinction of a Christian is we find our identity in Christ. So finding your chief identity in Christ doesn't mean that this, that, that there aren't distinct races and cultures and that they don't matter or should be done away with. Because oftentimes that's what gets portrayed and said by the church. And what that really means is they want the dominant culture just to be the one that takes over and everyone assimilate to it. And that's a different discussion for a different day. But what we're saying here is that, that for the people of God, unity under Christ is stronger than language, skin color, music, socioeconomic status, or anything else that we might use to define us. And so it's really, really important when we start like having these conversations about inclusivity and identity markers that as a Christian the chief and primary identifying marker of you is whether you are in Christ or not. Amen. And that, and that identification does not have anything that distinguishes it other than believing upon Jesus through repentance and faith. It doesn't Amen. matter if you're Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. It only matters if you're in Christ. And that's really, really, really important when you start boiling this down, because if you study some of the historical stuff and the quotes that then came from it that David had shared earlier, there was a rejection of this idea. And there has been at various times over the last several thousand years by various cultures, kingdoms, and people groups, including people that would even claim to be followers of Jesus. And what we're saying is the Bible wholeheartedly full stop rejects the notion that someone can be excluded based upon their race or their gender or their socioeconomic status. Yeah. I mean, I, I have so many thoughts about this. You guys talking just then reminded me of just the way that Jesus approached different people groups, mm -hmm. different groups of people. Um, one of the things that I really thought about was Luke chapter four, uh, there's that great passage where Jesus uh, goes back to his hometown. He goes to Nazareth, and he opens up uh, the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. Um, and he reads uh, that great text where he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the text tells us that he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and all of the eyes of those who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Um, and he said to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him. And they marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What you have heard in Capernaum do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But I tell you in truth that there are many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zephyrah in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there are many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when Jesus highlighted these two non-Israelites, these two non-Jewish groups to this group of people, the same people who had just praised him, uh, verse 20 tells us when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath and they rose up and drove them out of the town and brought them to the brow of the hill on which was their town was built so that they can throw them down the cliff. They were so mad at him for highlighting 
that group of people over their group of people. Mm -hmm. um, he was very intentional to say that I've come to bring recovery of sight to all the blind eyes, mm -hmm. uh, to set at liberty all the oppressed, and not just you guys. And you all know, um, you know the story in Luke uh, chapter 10. Um, Luke tells us about the Good Samaritan. Yeah. And the Samaritan was the hero of that story. And that was completely countercultural for right. that Jewish audience to hear that the Samaritan, who they viewed very racistly and had a very negative outlook towards, that he was the one who took care of the man who was uh, robbed and beaten by the thieves and the robbers. And so Jesus just subverts so many ideas related to um, exclusivity and excluding groups of people because of their ethnic origin. Um, he was the savior of the whole world, John would tell us, and that was his focus as our savior. So just hearing you guys talk about those things, like the like like racism is sinful. Yeah, you know it's explicitly unbiblical. Um, and it's explicitly not the example of our Savior who loved all people and brought as many as he could into the sheepfold, into the household of God. I think I think it's important to say, too, like y you will hear at times, like people will say, oh, well, Christianity is the white man's religion. Um, and it's important to understand like where that historical notion actually comes from because Christianity is a worldwide global phenomenon. Right. And, and, and faith um, that includes people from every tribe, nation, and, and tongue for the most part. And so, um, I mean, there are, if you even look at the early church history, um, the early church history was had had the, what we would consider like the Roman or the Greek, kind of the Greek section of it, but there was also the North African and, and African section of Christianity too. So certainly, and some of the most influential um, church fathers over thousands of years uh, were men and, and women of color, uh, not just uh, white Europeans. Right. Um, but that notion is, comes from the idea of, of white European colonialism, which Christianity then kind of piggybacked off of as colonialism and imperialism spread across the world. And so it, it's, it's important that we, we think through this as like, hey, hey the, Jesus himself did not consider... Um, the coming of the kingdom of God to be for one race. Mm -hmm. it, it, it said there in those very words that, that Theo just shared with us. Um, it, I, I, I'm like even remembering the, the story in the gospels when he talks to the Samaritan woman at the well in the gospel of John. Mm -hmm. And you, you miss this if you don't understand historical context because but Jews and Samaritans did not like each, each other. Mm -hmm definitely racism going on between the two. And then obviously sexism was an issue in that day in first century uh, Israel as well. And she's perplexed by Jesus even speaking to her. And I, I, it, you, you miss it if you don't understand the historical context, but Jesus is setting an example of saying, Hey, these things are, these things are being done away with the, the, the barriers that man create, are going to be knocked down by the work that I came to do. That that my work knocks these barriers down doesn't build them up more. And the only distinction is going to be, are you in me or not? Yeah, that's good. And this is a little preview even of what you guys are going to talk about in the coming weeks, but there are so many women who serve the Lord, yeah. uh, were faithful in his church, were part of the groups of the disciples and acts and so influential in the early church, including even women like Lydia. So the fact that there's all of these man-made barriers between people that Jesus abolishes in his work uh, on the cross is beyond significant. Um, and hopefully it's something that we could continue to, to lean into. Um, and, and it's really beautiful. You know, you guys reminded me of uh, Revelation uh, chapter 7, uh, where it talks about in verse 9, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And there is a beauty in the tribes. 
There's a beauty in the nations. And there's something about that that God wants to preserve eternally because here we see in the eternal kingdom that you could notice the distinction between those groups of people. And so like when people mar that by trying to elevate one group over another or by trying to say that God prefers one group of people over another, that's so, it's so explicitly unbiblical. <laughs> it baffles me. I think something that is very clear here, and I love that Theo's brought us full circle, right? He starts leading us to Genesis, brings us now to Revelation 7. And what's clear is if, you, if you're, if you're wanting to see what God's vision or what his goal or what his desire is for humanity, we really find that in the bookends of the Bible, right? We see it in the beginning before sin enters the world, and we see it in the picture of what is to come in the end. Everything in the middle is God leading humanity in spite of humans sin and of themselves mm -hmm. leading them from one communion with him to again be in full communion with him and so when we look at those bookends of scripture it becomes clear that the identity of mankind is grounded in their image bearing and their their ability to bring glory to their creator in genesis and we see that as well in Revelation, like Theo said, it doesn't it doesn't make any of those other realities not real. The nations they were from, the tribes that they were from, the languages that they spoke. But all of those things have one purpose. That they are worshiping the God who has created them. That they are that they are one people worshiping their creator. And that's if you want to know like what God is about, what he cares about, mm -hmm. that's where you look. Not in a broken, sinful human being who uses scripture for their own sinful desires. That's, by the way, not something the Bible shies away from. It's littered throughout it because the Bible wants to make it clear, hey, left to your own devices, this is what humans do. They find ways to turn even what is good into bad. Um, and so I, I love that you brought us full circle there. And let me just give you a little bit of free content. So that's, that's, that's not just a, a New Testament reality, the New Testament idea, but you even see in the story of Rahab that God cared about the outsiders and that he preserved her family. Um, and you see that in the law, there was provision for sojourners. So God has always cared about the marginalized. He's always cared about outsiders. He's always right. cared to include as many people as possible into his family. Um, so... Sometimes people make that distinction between the Old Testament God and the mm -hmm. New Testament God, and there is no such distinction. I mean, even his promise to Abraham is, I'm going to give you all these descendants, not so your nation becomes huge and awesome and all about you. It's so that you can bless, so that the nations might be blessed through you. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. Yeah. No, I think this is a really good framework to kind of see uh, how the Bible comes at this as the driving force for um, what I would say true believers are rooted in Scripture. And like we see Scripture guides us so strongly towards a love and a care for uh, all men and women under Christ. Um, no matter the background. And I, I think, you know, what has been said is just so, so strongly rooted in that. Um, in, I'm now going to switch us then to a question that I think really roots us into maybe the heart behind these questions, because, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we're not just trying to think about how do we answer this question, but genuinely, how do we engage with those we're talking to? Because we, we don't just care about trying to pounce people down with, with a, a, like, perfect answer, but really try to get at the heart of things and engage people there. Um, so why do we think this question might be being asked and are there potentially questions behind this question or like heart struggles behind this question? What, what do y'all think? Yeah, I'll, I'll just super quickly toss this in there. Like David and Kevin kind of dive into this a little bit deeper, but you know, we live in such a culturally aware society where we've recognized injustices in the past and we've seen the the inhumane ways that people have treated one another 
And as a result, we live in a society that wants to address those wrongs and wants to right those wrongs. Unfortunately, a lot of that is rooted in humanism. A lot of that is rooted in man-made philosophies. And a lot of that is rooted in, in just pure atheism as well. And so the framework that people are coming from is they're trying to address these valuable questions, you know, in, in, in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Like, I think that the root um, foundation of this question is good. Is a person doesn't want Christianity necessarily to be racist, perhaps, or if it is, wants to call it out and abolish it. Yeah. So the, the heart motivations behind this question is really good, I think, ultimately. And that's why we have to ground whatever we say and think about these questions with the Word of God, with the, the Bible. I, I was telling my small group last night that I have a lot of opinions on a lot of different things uh, that don't matter. Uh, but when it comes to the matters of faith and life, um, I only have the Word of God. And all of my thoughts have to be rooted in what God has said. In scripture and so even as we come to this question um, we have to recognize the evil that's been tr- perpetrated in the name of Christianity in the past and really try to address um, the heart motivations behind the people asking these questions yeah yeah I, I tried to I think this question can come from a lot of different places specifically within our context um, here in the United States I think some we've already kind of hinted at Right, specifically, just the atrocities carried out by individuals who claim to be Christians. Like, you can't just ignore that, right? Um, and I, I would say, even the newer, um, like, desire to, I would say, study scripture kind of isolated from itself, kind of just looking for like a proof text for one thing or the other. Um, and so, you, you, you've actually. If you, if you look at individuals who claim to be Christians and try to actually use the Bible to to legitimize uh, slavery and racism, what they did was they basically would find one text that they thought meant what they wanted it to mean, and they just ignored the... Co- I mean, we do not have time to dissect all of that. Um, but I, I think the clearest and simplest example is something like the curse of ham which was used for years if you go back and read the story what's fascinating to me is that ham's not even cursed mm-hmm. and so something as <laughs> which which makes you laugh when you look look at it but you're like people promulgated this as a reality a fact taught by the bible and when you just plainly read the story they don't even get the right person who actually was cursed in the story and and so i i point that I point to that to say because some have used scripture in the past wrongly to not just say it's 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 up to us, but that it actually is condoned and, and encouraged by scripture. I think some people come from that and read that in history and say, hey, so this is what brings me to this question. And 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 so like I said, that's where I hope that kind of our, our treatment of not just what other Christians at the time were thinking, but even Scripture itself, the, the testament it gives um, to its defense on this question are helpful. Um, and then the last, the last part, or, the, or the, 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 the second way that I, or the second place that I think this question might be coming from is something that Kevin highlighted, which is sometimes we have just not been good at calling sin what it is. Mm-hmm. Like whether it's because a an old writer or preacher that I really like and admired was wrong about, I'm fine with calling them out and disagreeing with people I read and I hear on every other topic, but on this one I have to I have to defend them, or even institutions um, that we look too fondly, whether it's seminaries or um, uh, universities or or other institutions that we think are doing great things now we we shy away from calling out where they were sinful and i think thinking we're doing the church a service we're actually doing the church a disservice right the best thing christians can do is be be willing to be transparent and clear and call out sin when they see it and so i think um because we haven't always been upfront and able to do that, 
I think that que- this question might also come from that where people are like, I, I see people just trying to defend the actions mm-hmm. of the past instead of giving me a clear is is what these people were doing and thinking is that racism and if so h- tell me how it's wrong mm-hmm. we shy away from that sometimes and, and we're just looking to kind of excuse um so so i think ultimately that, that that can bring people to ask the question well like is it is it is is is, is racism something that is actually condoned by by scripture so um yeah yeah you guys both gave great answers, so I don't need to add a ton. Just one kind of final thought from from um, what I would say I would say should be the Christian perspective before we wrap up is you know it's my understanding that Christians should be creating culture and influencing culture, not responding to it constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know one of the reasons why we would even hold hold and have a, a podcast talking about this is because we we think it's important that that God's word be highlighted on what it says in these types of things and I think if you look at the history of racism in the US um if you look at the unfortunate history of much of the church in the west that even as it's looked at globally um it's it's tied to unbiblical behavior and worldviews that were married to power structures and not the truth um and so you know, I, I think people ask these questions because we see injustice faster than we ever have in human history. You know, with, with the Internet, um, we just have access to so many things. I even think about what you see in um, Israel and Gaza or what you might see on the Internet from Russia and Ukraine. We didn't even have access to that kind of stuff 20, 20 years ago. And so... We we re, I think we're realizing, but we don't know how to handle it as 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 a people right now. That the world's always been a lot more complicated than we thought it was, and you know we may have been taught, depending on where you grew up, like well the church just expanded across the south and did it. Well, yeah, but it did that in light of cooperating with institute <laughs> as as Theo said earlier, institutionally racist policies, um, or continue to kind of propagate um, a, a system that enslaved black men and women and treated them, you know, for the start of our country, as three-fifths of a human. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I think when the people of God compromise to remain in power, you see this kind of thing. And, and I think people raise this kind of question because Christians are still doing this. Uh, maybe maybe not to the extent that we see with Jim Crow or chattel slave trade in the United States. But I know the, the three of you have at least heard me be, kind of cry out and bemoan just my own current personal opinions towards just politics in the right. United States as it stands right now. Um, it's really, really hard to, with a good conscience, for me at least, vote for anyone. Right, because I feel like there's the possibility that I'm going to be propagating or supporting or a- allowing someone to be in office that is going to push forward um, policies that are directly against God's design for mankind in general, not 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 just but mankind in general, and and so and, and I'm, not, I'm not claiming to have the answer on how to engage that either. I'm just saying. The reason why I think this gets brought up is because the church doesn't have a good history mm-hmm. of speaking as if it doesn't mean not doesn't mean the entire church. There were certainly faithful men and women who stood up against this, um, but there were also many, many men and women who did not. Some some that we might even consider to be heroes, and it's important that we understand this: that people at at their core, people are flawed, right, and they're going to fail. And as David was mentioning even earlier, um, it's important to raise these kind of questions. But if if we do it without uh, a framework of why are we here and what what are we supposed to be doing in the first place, you you really start going down a slippery slope really quickly on right. actually being able to come up with a with a a coherent argument for for some of these things. And in, in my opinion, I, I've heard them. I don't find them to be um, particularly satisfactory. Mm-hmm. 
as opposed to what the scriptures would say. And I think, you know, even in the last five years, you've seen within the evangelical church world a push for what we would consider and call a multicultural church and what that looks like. And because for years, the white church had improper views on belief, views and beliefs on proper modes and practice of the faith and forcing Western preferences into worship and new cultures. And that was unnecessary and wrong on, on the flip side. Um, I kind of view what that was as a reiteration of the same thing over and again. And so, um, I think if we take a step back and just view what Scripture says, like in Galatians 3, hey, the, the, the distinguishing marker of how God views his people is not mode of worship. It's not race. It's not race. It's not sex. It's not tied to socioeconomic status. It's rooted in the truth of who is Jesus Christ and what has he done and do you believe in him? Mm-hmm. And if we allow that to be our distinguishing marker and then his word to be a guidepost from there on out, then we can sift through the admittedly difficult topics of well, how do we functionally live this out, which is complicated mm-hmm. and is going to necessitate that probably being various expressions of the local church and various expressions of style of preaching and various expressions of, of liturgies and, and various expressions uh, of how to do missions and engage the lost and serve. And that if, as long as those practices in and of themselves don't directly defy scripture, maybe we should be a little bit more charitable towards one another. Because again, to, to quote, the, the passage that Theo read earlier after this, because this is this is going to be, if you are a Christian, this is going to be your reality one day. Mm-hmm. So if you don't like this reality, you're, you're, you're on the wrong team. Mm-hmm. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is our reality one day. And there's nothing mentioned there about worship styles. What's mentioned there about race is that they're all included. (laughs) And it seems that each individual culture is likely going to be worshiping in their own native language, in their own way, and Jesus is receiving all of it, and he's fine with it. And so, as Christians, I think it, I think it would help us a lot, even as, we, even as we engage these different things, if we use that, those two verses from Revelation chapter 7 as both our hope, but also for our framework of what we're working towards. Knowing that, hey, we're, we're working towards that, but we're likely not going to do it. I'm, I'm reminded of uh, something Jesus says. So when Jesus has his uh, feet anointed by Mary mm-hmm. in the Gospels, do you remember the disciples' response to that? They're all indignant. Everyone, like even one, like Judas gets like the worst rap, but all of them are indignant towards it. They're like, why are you doing this? And you remember Jesus' response to them? He, say, he says, you've, she's done a great, she's, done, she's shown me a great honor. But when Judas's response to him was this could have been used for the poor, Jesus's response is the poor will always be with you. Does it doesn't mean that Jesus says don't care about the poor, but he's just, hey, like until I come back, it's gonna it's gonna always be a reality. And what I'm saying here is I, I think like the the tension between preferences of uh what our own cultural experience is, whether it's black, white, uh brown, yellow, whatever your your cultural or tribal background might be is going to have an influence on the way that you desire to worship and make make much of him. And what I'm saying is, is that's okay. Just don't let that be 
supreme over recognizing a brother, sister in Christ and, and being okay for allowing different expressions that might not even need to be within the four walls or within your own organizational sphere of influence. Because when we start trying to push things, that's when we then get into trouble again, because we try to assimilate more than what scripture asks us to assimilate to. We're trying to assimilate people to life in Christ. That's it. Something that just kind of keeps hitting me as you're, you're talking through this, Kevin, is I know our goal today was to just respond the, to the question, you know, is Christianity racist, right? And I think we would all agree that the answer is no. But what I would hope is whether you're a Christian or, or not, if you're hearing this, Christianity doesn't just say, hey, we're not racist and that's it. We're just we're just bystanders that don't don't push anything else. Like Christianity goes far beyond that. It it doesn't just say we're not racist, but it actually, if you look at Revelation, it addresses racism. It's like it will all of not just racism, but every other sin and suffering that you experience here will be undone, will be made right. So it doesn't just the end. I feel like I know for the purpose of the podcast, our our answer is is just a clear no, but it, <laughs> the answer that that scripture gives us is so much more than that. Yeah. It actually addresses Amen. the core issue. Um, and I think we're gonna we're gonna find that in in, in all of these uh, discussions yeah. as we continue. Is that 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 the response that scripture gives us is is far more than what we are often looking for. Mm. Yeah. So. Um, Thank you all for uh, just your your really insightful input, especially in uh, something that is such a hot topic today. Um, and, and David, I think you put it so well. Like uh, you know, there is a call towards unity, and you know, as we talked about in Mago Day, and just like this beautiful uh, unity that is brought through Christ supremely above all other things, um, and that calls us to a greater love than our culture or society. Uh, pushes us towards, but but something that is rooted in Scripture above all else and above any person, any other thing. But Scripture is our foundation for all that, and I think that's such a huge uh, call to action for you all. And obviously, you know, as David was even pointing to, like there is potentially a lot more to this conversation. So again, I'll point you to like we're trying to focus in on the main idea, the main question that we're asked. And if you want to uh, discuss this further or need clarification or just processing more through this, feel free to email us at podcast.alatheagainswell.com and we would love to continue talking and and even process with you through any particular questions or thoughts you have. Or if you uh, want us to maybe pursue specific specific avenues of this in the future on the podcast, let us know. We'd love to hear from that, from you and that, and uh, maybe hit that up. So, um, Thanks for listening, guys. Uh, as always, uh, feel free to follow us on the on YouTube and um, Spotify, things like that, wherever you're listening on, and uh, give it a like, share it if you feel this was helpful, and uh, look for the next episode in the coming weeks. Uh, with that, thank you for listening, and go and be the church. I mean, you guys always you guys always I, love I how when we have a guest, I get the Gentile mic. Why? Why is that? It's because it's your mind. Why am I not a part of God's chosen elect when we have a guest? Because you have. An Why Android. isn't the guest with the Gentile mic? That's that's what I want. It's because you're an Android user and they're inferior to Apple. Wow. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I actually will be with Kevin on this. Wow! One. I know. Wow! That's why I said it. Mm. The guest Isaiah. comes in, just starts popping off. Starts <laughs> showing prejudice immediately. We talk about racism today, so and he's getting he's apropos. getting it out of the system before the podcast. <laughs> oh dear! Can't what be it? recorded. <laughs> Saying all this stuff. This this will not make the blooper real. Uh, I don't know about that. Is it being recorded? Because I would. It like is it being recorded. I would like it to make the blooper real. It's yeah. always being recorded. I want the people to know that I'm constantly under attack. <laughs> <laughs> I think you started the attack though. Not, it was it was a simple question, Isaiah, that I was asking the producer of the show of why I have to use the Gentile. A lot of Kevin's attacks are really on himself when you think about it. <laughs>